as we open the word together, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us your holy inspired word. We thank you that it is able to make us wise unto salvation, that it is profitable for every aspect of our lives. And so we come to your word expectant this morning, that you would speak to us through it, that you might transform our lives through it. And Father, I pray that you would please help us to set aside distractions, that we might focus on what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Throughout history, there have been a handful of written works that have had significant impact on the world. And in fact, I think if we took a straw poll here today on, on what are those significant works in human history, we'd get a, a, probably a pretty good list. But I've also often wondered about the authors of those works, that I wondered at the, at the time of writing, did they know that they were writing something significant? Did they know that the words that were putting onto paper and that great adjective that suddenly popped into their head or that great phrase that suddenly flowed out, that they knew that that would have such great effect upon humanity? For example, did Homer know that he was writing the enduring epic of Greek literature? in the Iliad and the Odyssey? Did Shakespeare know that his works would shape the English language? And I wonder that same thing as I have been studying the book of Luke in preparation for our time in it. Did Dr. Luke know that as he was sitting at his desk as with, with parchment scrawled, uh, spread across his table, and he's examining eyewitnesses' notes from eyewitness accounts and, and other written accounts that he had. And he was looking to pull together an orderly, accurate account of the life of Christ. Did he know that that work was going to change the world? And the, the answers to these questions can't fully be known until we get to heaven. But what is undisputed is that Luke's work of compiling an orderly account for his friend Theophilus has been used by God along with the rest of the Bible to change the world. And particularly the book of Luke brings us a portrait of the divine Son of Man that then spread to the far reaches of the earth. This morning we are beginning our study of the book of Luke, which is the third book of the New Testament, the third gospel that we have, the third account of the life of Christ. And as we'll see this morning, there are many things that make the book of Luke unique and make it a truly special book, as I, I, I know you'll see it through our time together. And it's special not just because of the special care that Luke went into to, to, to write this book and to compile it, but it's also special because of the grand portrait that he paints of Jesus Christ, his Savior, and the forgiveness that is offered to all through Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to 
look at the first four verses of the book of Luke. So if you're not there already, I encourage you to open your personal copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And we'll be in and out of these four verses this morning. We'll kind of use these opening verses as a springboard to look at the book of Luke as a whole as we look to intro and and, and kind of land into what this book is and what it offers for us. And so as we look at these opening four verses, I want us to notice seven features of Luke and his work so that we would be grateful for what he's given and we'd be eager to better know the Savior of which he writes. So we're going to look at Luke and the work that he's compiled here so that we'd be grateful for what he's given us and that we would be eager to know better the Savior of which he writes. The first feature of Luke and his work that we're going to see this morning is Luke's qualification for writing. Luke's qualification for writing. As we approach any book, we need to first think about who wrote it, who composed it, and As you can tell already, I believe that Luke the physician wrote this book. But it's interesting, if we we went into the book and we had the title removed, which is not uh, an inspired title, it's a title given by publishers down, really uh, copyists down through history that have uh, sought to label the book, and we just go from verse, starting in verse 1 and read through the book and try to figure out who wrote this book, it makes it interesting Because he doesn't identify himself anywhere in the book of Luke. But we believe that the author of Luke also authored the book of Acts. And we know this because both are addressed to the same individual, this friend, the most excellent Theophilus, as both opening verses of Luke and Acts testify. And... Acts also references an earlier book. He, the book of Acts begins, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. So the author of Acts says that in, there was a first book, Theophilus, and it's natural to conclude that the first book that we have is the book of Luke. There's also similar vocabulary, similar writing styles that that clearly tie these books together. So we can use the book of Acts as in part of our investigation to figure out who wrote this. The book of Acts is extremely helpful. As you know, the book of Acts records the history of the early church as the the Spirit of God came upon the apostles and then they were witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the latter section of the book where it records the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul, we have some curious sections that are there for the careful observer. They're called the we sections because there the author changes from the third person to the first person. Instead of they went to so and such a place, it says we went to such and such a place. He include, the author includes himself in these sections. We see them in, in chapter 16 in chapters 20 and 21, and then chapters 27 and 28. Therefore, we can conclude that the author of these two books was a companion of the Apostle Paul, very close, traveled with Paul. And we know that 
it cannot be a companion that's mentioned in those sections. So if he says, we went here, and then he talks about Timothy, we know that it's not Timothy that wrote it because he's not the author there. And so when we evaluate all the evidence, and we're not going to uh, trust me on this, the, the best candidate for this is Luke. As we compare the companions that we see in the, in, the, in the epistles and we compare the companions listed in the book of Acts, the best candidate is Luke. And in fact, the authorship of this gospel, being the apostle or being the, the physician Luke, was not questioned all through church history until the 19th century with the rise of higher criticism when, when scholars, unbelieving scholars, began to doubt the authorship of every book of the Bible and Luke was no different from that. And so the, the tradition of seeing the, Luke the physician as the author of this gospel is a very strong tradition, in fact, going back to the middle of the second century and was undoubted or unquestioned. So who was this Luke? Who's this man that gave us so much of the New Testament? Ironically, we don't know much about him, even though we know his name well and many have been named after him down through church history. There are even Luke's in our midst that uh, this name has given, been uh, given prominence to, but his name is only referenced three times in the New Testament. Only three times, and really just in passing mention, ironically. And the first two are during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, during the years of 60 to 62 A.D. This is Paul was imprisoned twice. The second time led to his death, the first time he was released from, and that's where we get the prison epistles from of, of uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. But it's during this time that we see two references to Luke. And so if you would flip to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, we'll see that first reference of Luke's name. Here at the end of the book of Colossians, Paul is passing on greetings from those who are with him and seeking to greet the church in Colossae. And it's here that in verse 14, we see the Apostle Paul list his friend Luke. He says, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Now, what we can see here is he attaches this, this uh, adjective of beloved. That Luke was a man dearly loved by the Apostle Paul and, and no doubt dearly loved by all who knew him. He seemed to be an enduring man. And he loved others and others loved him. And we see that he was close to the Apostle Paul and therefore was a dear friend. But let's see the second mention during the same time period in Philemon, the, the, the letter that is of Paul that is found in our Bibles right before the book of Hebrews. The letter of Paul to Philemon. And at the very end of this short one-chapter letter, Paul again lists some friends that sends, send greetings to 
Philemon. And verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Here we see part of this apostolic band, this group that was around Paul that worked hard for the cause of the gospel. And so therefore we can conclude uh, that, and, and also from what I mentioned earlier, the we sections where, where of Acts where the Apostle Paul is, or Luke is following the Apostle Paul, that Luke was a hard worker for the cause of the gospel. This was no lazy bunch. They were with Paul in prison. They were with Paul on the road. They traveled everywhere he went. And I can only imagine that having a physician with you as the Apostle Paul was probably valuable because as you remember, there were several times in which Paul was beaten in which he received great persecution and the caring concern of a physician by your side, no doubt, came in very valuable. But the last mention that we see of Luke comes in 2 Timothy's, 2 Timothy. So flip to the left, just a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's start in verse 9. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. We see the final words of a man who sees death as imminent because of his faith in Christ. And in writing to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. We see here in this final mention of Luke that he is the loyal friend. That while there are those who have deserted from the faith, such as Demas, and there are those who have gone on to other ministry in other parts of the world, Luke was the loyal friend who stayed by the Apostle Paul in his darkest hour. He very well could have gone on and done other ministry, but instead he opted to stay with Paul. He was devoted. He was trustworthy. He was a shoulder to lean upon. Now, do we know anything else about this man, Luke? Well, from Colossians chapter 4 that we just read, in that chapter, there's a list, as Paul's listing out these men who are with him, he first gives a, a list of those who were his partners in ministry who are a part of the circumcision, meaning those who were Jewish by birth. And so by that, scholars conclude that there's the group of those who were Jewish by birth, and then he lists all those who weren't. And Luke is in a part of those who were not listed in that group of Jews. And so therefore, it is concluded that Luke was a Gentile, not a Jew. And if this was indeed the case, then he is the only Gentile author of Scripture. All the, re all the other authors of the Bible are Jewish by origin and by birth, and Luke stands alone as the only Gentile. Church history records that he was from Antioch of Syria. This is the, the first church outside of Jerusalem that was north of Israel. 
And if this is true, then it's likely that Luke came to faith through the witness of the church that was there in Antioch or from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We don't really know how Luke came to faith, but we know that he did indeed have his eyes open to the truth of the gospel. Some believe that he came to faith even during Paul's missionary journeys. We just don't know. But we know that he joined the apostolic band in Paul's second missionary journey. We also know from his style of writing that he was well-educated and a proficient writer, uh, up to the on par with the best of his day. In fact, in the, the prologue to his gospel that we're going to look at this morning, the first four verses, uh, he's, th- these, this has been called one of the greatest sentences in Scripture. Now, it's not the greatest sentence because of the theological content so much as it is the the high prose and the balanced Greek that Luke wrote with there in that four verses, which is one whole sentence, has been regarded very highly. And so in all of this, we see that a man who is devoted to the cause of the gospel. Church history records that he, uh, he never married. He was a single man who devoted his life to to see that the gospel went forth, both in his own travels and his own work, as well as in his writing activity. And so he was qualified to write this gospel because he had the academic skill to accomplish such a great task, and he had the proximity to the Apostle Paul who had seen the risen Christ. In fact, Luke's gospel has been so tied to Paul that in many Uh, Many in the early church believe that when Paul mentioned in his letters to my gospel, that he was referencing the gospel of Luke. That the gospel of Luke was essentially the account of Christ from his hand through his friend Luke. And so this man, Luke, the beloved physician, is a man I'm excited to hear from. I'm excited to, to see what he has given to us, what he has crafted from the accounts that he has heard. He's a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who, as a man, has really faded into history. We don't know much about him, but his literary works have stood the test of time and have now been included in the inspired canon as we know. And his works are those that uplift the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, there were those Uh, it's been said down through church history, who highlighted the fact that Luke was a physician. And even though he gave his, his study to the work of healing people physically, it's through his two great works of Luke and Acts that he has provided spiritual healing to the spiritually infirmed. And that is true today, as true of any time in history. And so the first feature that we see about Luke and his work is that his, his qualifications for writing. But the second feature that we see is Luke's method in writing. And this brings us to the prologue, these first four verses. So I invite you to, to follow along as I read verses 1 through 4 of Luke chapter 1. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, 
It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now we see several things in these verses that highlight Luke and his method in writing. We see, first of all, that Luke was not an eyewitness himself. He says he speaks of those who were eyewitnesses of the life of Christ, but he puts himself in a separate class, that he has spoken to the eyewitnesses, he knows of the eyewitnesses, but he himself is not one. And so he is included in those who are the first generation of believers who have testified who were eyewitnesses. We also see that he was aware of other works on the life of Christ. Notice that he's beginning to say that many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he admits that he's not the first one to do this. He's not the first one to, to pull together a narrative. It's very well that he could have had the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, which were both probably written sometime in the AD 50s. But it's important to see that he's not criticizing those other works. In other words, he's like, yeah, Matthew and Mark, they didn't get it right. Let me set the record straight. No, he's not doing that. He's recognizing that other people have written these things, but he's looking to add his own perspective, his own account. He wants to take his own crack at it. Notice also that he calls this life of Christ that we have through the book, he calls it a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He calls it a narrative or a story. But not just a story about someone, not just a simple biography, but it's a story about what God has accomplished. This word accomplished has a couple nuances that's included in this word. It includes the idea of doing something as accomplishment, but also has the concept of fulfillment, of promises that have been fulfilled. And that's what we see in the New Testament, right? That the, the life of Christ is a fulfillment of all that has been spoken of in the Old Testament. And so these things that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us, Luke is tipping his hand to say that Jesus is a fulfillment of all that is spoken before in the Old Testament. And so after reading these other accounts, it seemed good to Luke to write his own orderly account. He felt like he could do this because he had followed things closely or carefully, he says. Verse 3, having followed all things closely for some time past. He he went to the best sources. He seems to be a curious man that, that others would tell stories of the life of Christ, of, of interacting with Jesus, and while others would sit there and go, oh, wow, that's interesting, he would, his mind would be turning. He'd be, he'd be curious to ask further questions, maybe, maybe about what Jesus did or maybe something that Jesus said because he was curious to know. He followed things closely. He listened intently. Therefore, we can conclude from what Luke has written here that his method for writing his gospel was one of careful research. 
careful research. He went to the best sources because these eyewitnesses had walked with Christ. No doubt this would have been the apostles first and foremost, those who were following Jesus for three years of his ministry, but it it included others as well. There were those who were ministers or servants of the word. Those who kept the word and carefully transmitted it. It could have been an oral history, these, these stories that were passed down about Jesus. It was a word that was delivered or handed down. And Luke takes care to pull all those together. Now, this gospel was most likely written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, sometime between 60 and 62 A.D. And we gather this from tracking the record in Acts and seeing the time that he spent with Paul in Caesarea and in Rome, two to three years. So, if you remember Paul's journey to Rome, he's, he's uh, put under arrest in Jerusalem. He's then, because of the Jews, he's rushed out to Caesarea, and there he stays for two years. And remember, he uh, calls for uh, uh, to be to go before the emperor, and so he's awaiting transport there as he's under trial under the governors of of Judah there at the time. And he's there in Caesarea for two years, and we have every indication to believe that Luke was there with him. Now, Luke himself wasn't arrested, and so under, uh, during the two years that he's there in the land of Israel, uh, Caesarea being a, a, a city on the coast, that he had time to roam the whole extent of Israel and speak to those who were eyewitnesses and had witnessed everything that took place during the life of Jesus. It gave him a perfect opportunity to say, all right, Paul, you're okay, let me go talk to some people. And he, he could go from Dan to Beersheba as the Bible calls it, the whole extent of Israel, and be able to interview and be able to do the work of a journalist, do the work of a researcher. And so he could have written it there during those two years. He then also went with Paul to Rome and could have also written it during the few years that Paul was in prison there. We don't know specifically, but these details do give us, uh, help accord with the evidence that we have here. We know that he, he most likely spoke to Mary. She was alive, the mother of Jesus. Uh, Luke's gospel alone records a woman named Joanna who was the married to the steward of Herod's household. So there's an insider to unique things that, that no other writer had. And so these, he went to scour Israel for the best eyewitnesses during the time. And we see here that, that Luke took his task seriously. He closely followed, he says, or carefully investigated all of the details concerning Christ. And so here to Theophilus and now to the rest of the world, he's saying, what I've written here is highly accurate. You can trust what I've written here because I've done careful research. And so we can trust what he's written. But it's important to state that the diligent work that Luke did was superintended by the Holy Spirit so that what he produced was not just a product of a man, but a book that was breathed out by God. And this is our doctrine of inspiration, that 
the Bible was breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3.16 says. Now, this does not mean, as some suppose, that there was simply dictation, that the authors of Scripture sat there and were listening for a voice from heaven and wrote down everything that God spoke to them. There were certainly some cases in which that was true. We have uh, lots of evidence from Moses through, or Genesis through Revelation in which God spoke from heaven and men recorded that and wrote that down. But particularly as we come to the New Testament, we have letters or we have works that were written by these men. They wrote out of their own personality. They wrote out of their own skill level, out of their own vocabulary. It very much had the stamp of them upon it. And yet the miracle of inspiration is that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. In other words, they weren't having some out-of-body experience where they suddenly were taken over and their hands just started to move without their willpower and it just like recorded these words and they go, whoa, what was that? No, they, you can tell, see from this prologue that Luke wrote carefully and he, he studied his resources. He was spending late nights pouring over his materials and he wrote this down and yet the finished product is an inspired book that God breathed out. 2 Peter 1.21 I encourage you to write that down. 2 Peter 1.21 gives us a description of how this inspiration, this miracle of inspiration took place. Peter writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And such was the case with Luke. He did his careful research. He carefully investigated, but he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so our confidence in the accuracy of Luke's record rests primarily upon the faithfulness of God to speak his word accurately. That's where our faith in the word of God, particularly the book of Luke, rests, is in God and his faithfulness to give us his word. But secondly, we can rest it upon what Luke says here. And that he did his work carefully and diligently. So the two features we've seen of Luke in his work so far are his qualification for writing and his method for writing. But this brings us thirdly to Luke's comprehensiveness in writing. Luke's comprehensiveness in writing. One of the unique things about Luke is that he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. Now, that might surprise you. If you were asked who wrote most of the New Testament, you might say the Apostle Paul. And in terms of number of books, you'd be right. But in terms of number of words, the trophy goes to Luke. He wrote about 28% of the New Testament. Paul, only 23%. And so Luke just wrote a lot of words from his the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Book of Acts being the longest book in the New Testament. And as we compare Luke's gospel to that of Matthew, Mark, and John, we see that Luke is the most comprehensive. It covers more time chronologically than the others. If you're not counting John's prologue in which he mentions that Jesus was pre-existent, so, you know, eternity passed. If you scratch that out in terms of time chronologically, just in terms of time here on this earth, uh, Luke gets the award for most time covered. 
He begins his account 15 months before the birth of Christ and doesn't end until after Christ's ascension as the, as the disciples go into the temple and worship after seeing the, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. Sorry about that. Just trying to wake you all up. Um, and Luke's gospel contains a large amount of material that is not found in the other three gospels. In fact, 50% of Luke's material is unique to him. 50%. Six of the 20 miracles in this gospel are unique to Luke. 19 of the 35 parables in this gospel are not in the other gospels. His nativity account, the birth of Christ, is totally unique from what the other gospels give. And there's two large chunks of material from chapter 6, verse 20 through 8, verse 3, and then chapter 9, verse 51 through 18, chapter 18, verse 14, that are only found in Luke. And one commentator said of these unique chunks of material that these contain some of our most precious gospel treasures. We owe our possession of this rich material to Luke's diligent research and his desire to give a comprehensive account of the story of Jesus. There is rich material that Luke has provided so that we might know Jesus better and might worship him with our lives. And so we are thankful for Luke's comprehensiveness in writing. The fourth feature that we see of Luke and his work is Luke's heart for Christ. Luke's heart for Christ. The person of Jesus Christ absolutely captivated Dr. Luke. He not only gave his life to telling others about him, but he focused all of his academic powers towards scripting an ac accurate account of Jesus' life. He devoted his, his days to traveling with Paul, and he devoted his nights to compiling this account. And this is a Jesus that Luke doesn't want us to miss and that we today in the 21st century can't ignore. He wants his readers to come face to face with the real Jesus of Nazareth because he himself has come face to face with him. He didn't meet Jesus. He wasn't an eyewitness, remember. But through the accounts, he saw the truth of who Jesus was and is. And, and so, as each reader reads his gospel, including us, we're forced to ask a question that reoccurs throughout the gospel of Luke. And it's the question, who is this? Who is this great man? This man that's doing all these things, who is he? This question is repeated four times throughout the book of Luke. You can just write these down in chapter 5, verse 21. The Pharisees ask, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're seeing what Jesus did and they're asking questions, who is this man? Luke 7, verse 49. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He turned, they turned to the person next to them and began to, to ask, who is this man? He's forgiving sins. The disciples ask in chapter 8, verse 25, 
Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? The story of the storm that he calmed. And the disciples were in awe and they asked, who is this man? And then in Luke 9, verse 9, Herod says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? You see, the person of Jesus prompted others to come face to face with the divine Son of Man. And they were forced to ask, who is this? Who is this? And Luke saw it as his mission that all who would read his gospel would have that question answered finally and completely. And I ask you, do you know this Jesus this morning? Do you know the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost? The gospel of Luke will tell you who he is. And Luke highlights certain characteristics of Christ that are just unique in one sense, certain emphases that he placed on Jesus. He first placed an emphasis on the humanity of Jesus, showing Jesus to be the perfect human. While his divine origin was, is clearly seen in the book, his likeness to man is especially highlighted. And we see this in several different ways. Just think about his, his, the account of his birth, right? That we see that Luke went to such detail to show his, how Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem and, and how he was born and how the shepherds witnessed him and the wise men witnessed him. They, they show that this was a, while his conception was divine, his birth was normal like any other human birth. We also see in the genealogy that Luke gives in chapter 4. If you remember Matthew, he traces his all the way back to Abraham. But Luke traces his back to Adam, showing his connection to the human race, to all of humanity. We see that uh, he references Nazareth as the town where Jesus had been brought up. In other words, he's saying, listen, this is the place where the guy went to grade school. This is where he, he spent his days with his family. A very normal childhood. We see him frequently partaking in common social life. He's at table. He's partaking in meals with people of all sorts. He's just a normal guy getting a meal with his friends. But we see him weeping for Jerusalem in chapter 13 and chapter 19. A man of deep sorrow and deep tears. And we see him then after his resurrection and that he invites his disciples to touch his body and see that he is real flesh. And then he asks, do you guys have any food? And they give him a broiled fish and he eats it in front of them. Again, Luke highlighting this humanity of Jesus. But not only is he the perfect human, but he's also the Lord of all. A point that Luke did not want his readers to miss. Again, rewind. Think back to the birth account of Jesus. At the announcement of his birth to Mary, Jesus is presented as the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And remember what the angel said to the shepherds in chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then we see that Jesus as the Lord of the universe, as, as he demonstrates his power over nature, over disease, over death itself, over the cosmic powers of darkness. He showed himself to be sovereign over all. Even though he walked on this earth, he was a human partaking of normal human things. He was also divine and he was Lord of all. Luke also makes a point to show Jesus as a man dependent upon his father. In fact, Luke, the gospel of Luke has been called the gospel of prayer. Luke records Jesus praying at just about every major life event. Again, unique to Luke. He prays at his baptism in chapter 3, verse 21. He prays at his choice of the 12 at chapter 6, verse 12. At Peter's confession and his first prediction of that he was going to be going to the cross in chapter 9, verse 18, he prays. At the transfiguration, where his the curtain is pulled back and his glory is revealed to Peter, James, and John, he prays in chapter 9, verse 28. And we see that his death on the cross flowed from his Gethsemane prayer where he, he prays before the Father, not my will but yours be done. And his time on the cross featured three prayers and three answers to those prayers. On top of that, not only the example of Jesus, but he also taught on prayer in chapter 11 and chapter 18. Prayer is a major feature of the book of Luke. And I believe as we go through this, it's going to challenge us in our own prayer lives. That we too be dependent upon the Father. If the Son of Man needed to be dependent on the Father, how much more do we need to be dependent on the Father? And so as we See Luke carefully pull together his account. We cannot miss his heart for his Lord and Savior. The one that had radically changed his life and that he knew would radically change others. The fifth feature of Luke and his gospel that we see is Luke's gospel for all. Luke's gospel for all. By Luke's gospel, I mean the gospel of Christ as told in the book of Luke. Uh, in other words, the gospel that he proclaims through his book. And one of the key features of Luke's work is that he stresses the fact that salvation in Christ is available to all. Salvation in Christ is available to all. Again, we see this throughout his book. Just think of the announcement of the angels, something that you've you hear every Christmas season and you've gotten on Christmas cards of what they said to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For all the people. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Simeon, quoting Isaiah 40, um, that's not right. It is... Um, Luke is quoting Isaiah and talking about John the Baptist. And he says that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the nations, to those outside of Israel. Again, highlighting the gospel going 
to all. And we see throughout this book that Jesus continually approaches all sorts of people. Again, Luke takes careful effort to highlight the diversity of the kinds of people that Jesus seeks to reach. He offers salvation to all without respect to race or social status. It's open to Samaritans, those who were considered the half-breeds, half-Gentile, half-Jew. It's uh, open to Gentiles. It's open to the Jews. It's open to tax collectors, to sinners and outcasts. In fact, Luke highlights a number of groups of people that were considered the outcasts of Jewish society and showing how Jesus brought the gospel to them. And that included women, as we'll see in a minute. It's also interesting to note that tax collectors are, are, are ultimately given a positive light in this book. They were despised by Jewish society, and yet... Here we have the story of Zacchaeus who comes to faith in Christ. We have the story of the tax collector in the temple who's beating his breast and saying, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, showing that even these men such as these have faith. Jesus offered the gospel to the respectable, to the poor, and to the rich. And in fact, the really the the whole summary sentence of Jesus' mission and Luke's mission in writing this gospel can be found in chapter 19, verse 10. In fact, I invite you to turn there. Chapter 19, verse 10. This being a summary statement of Jesus' mission and Luke's mission in writing. This coming at the tail end of the, the account of Zacchaeus. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That lost, as Luke shows from the life of Christ, included all sorts of people. And this seeking and this saving was made possible by his sacrifice upon the cross that Luke would recount for us at the end of his book. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all the lost who would come to him would be saved. But most importantly, we see this concept of the gospel going to all people included in the final chapter in Luke 24, verse 47. Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples. And starting in verse 45, he says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And the emphasis, good news of great joy for all the people and that repentance, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations 
in the name of Christ. And this gospel that, John, that uh, Luke has left us with still rings out to all humanity. A gospel for all people. All you here today are able to be saved from your sin through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness from your sin is proclaimed to you in the name of Jesus. The same Jesus that the eyewitness accounts, eyewitnesses saw, that, that Luke recorded, and that we are able to read of today. And praise God, there are no barriers blocking our entrance into eternal life. Our social status doesn't keep us out. Our nationality or ethnicity doesn't keep us out. Our past choices don't keep us out. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins is available to us all through the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Luke wanted every reader of his gospel to know that loud and clear. The sixth feature of Luke and his work that we see is his concern for individuals. His concern for individuals. In other words, he takes this truth of this gospel, this great grand idea that it's, it's good news of great joy for all the people and that it should be proclaimed to everyone under heaven and he shows how that gospel can be applied down into specific people's lives. He tells about different people, whether it's Zechariah or Zacchaeus or the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Or the, think of the parables in Luke 15 about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the prodigal son, all talking about the joy in heaven when one sinner repents. But one of the ways that Luke spotlights individuals is the prominence of women in his account. And this is really unique to Luke. Again, women in the ancient world were not given equal status with men, and their view or opinion didn't count, and they were generally ignored. But Luke shows the key roles that women played in Jesus' life and his ministry. You think of Elizabeth carrying the forerunner to the Messiah, overlapping pregnancies with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Think of Anna the prophetess who was in the temple waiting to see the salvation of Israel. Or the story of the widow of Nain whose son was raised to life. Or the repentant sinful woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee in chapter 7. Or particularly the women who ministered to Jesus of their material means listed in chapter 8. Mary and Martha of Bethany. The hunchback woman in the temple, chapter 13. The woman weeping for Jesus on his way to the cross. And the women in the resurrection events in chapter 24. All this punctuates the reality that Luke wanted to communicate to his first century readers and to us by application that no matter who we are, the gospel is available to us and can transform our lives as well. And so finally this morning, the seventh feature I want us to see in Luke and his work is Luke's conviction of certainty. And with this, we'll flip back to chapter one and look in his prologue. Luke's conviction of certainty. Verse three, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely 
for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now Luke here specifies that he's writing to a certain, a specific individual, a man named Theophilus, which translated means friend of God. We don't know anything else about this man other than what we other than his name and what's given here in the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. But the title, Most Excellent Theophilus, it seems to be not just a, a really, that he has high regard for his friend, but it, it seems to be a term that's used to, to address high-ranking dignitaries. And we see this in Acts 23, 24, and 26. As the Apostle Paul is standing before Felix and Festus and Agrippa, he addresses them as most excellent. And so, again, Acts being a work of Luke as well, we see this, this connection that Theophilus too may have been a high-ranking dignitary of some sort that Luke is writing this account for. But Luke has a personal concern for this man. He wants him to stand in confidence on the truth of the gospel presented here. It seems that He's been taught the gospel. He says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And it seems best that he believes this gospel. He heard this gospel. He's a believer. But he may have some questions about the legitimacy of what he's heard, about, about the truth of, of what he's heard. And Luke wants to clear that up for him. And so here in verse 4, Luke's conviction of the certainty and the truth of what he's written is recorded for all of history. It's a conviction that has given believers from Theophilus on down to the present day confidence in the Word of God. That what is presented here and really is presented in all of Scripture is truth. And we can stand and have personal certainty on that. This word that's translated certainty or in some translations truth I think best represents this idea of subjective confidence in the truth. He wants Theophilus to know this personally. And so our study of the book of Luke will give you too further confidence in the Bible that you hold in your hands. The word of God is sure. It is truth. It can be depended upon. You can base your life upon this word and most Specifically, you can base your life upon Jesus Christ, the crucified sinner, the crucified Savior of sinners, and now Lord of all. And this is the man, this is the Savior that Luke wrote of. And so we can be certain that all that is said of Jesus here is true. And I pray that as we dive into this book, that you would get a clear portrait of who Jesus is, that you'd be able to rest more fully upon him, trust his work on your behalf, and be able to grow in your, in your love and affection and worship for this Son of Man who came from the throne of heaven to dwell among men and to take our sins upon himself that we might have life. And so I pray that as, even from what we've looked at this morning, to see Luke and his work, that you have grown in your appreciation for the skilled physician who 
2,000 years ago, compiled an accurate account for us. And that this has made you eager to know better the Savior about which he writes. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It gives us certainty about who Jesus is and how we might be saved. I thank you for your working through Luke, the beloved physician, to record this great gospel account of the life of Jesus. I pray now and moving forward as we study this book together, Father, that you would open our hearts to see Jesus for who he is. May he come alive off the pages of the book of Luke and may you plant deep trust and faith in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.